It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Sad Alex over Zoom video. Alex was born and raised in Delaware, and she talks about how she got into music, picked up piano at a very early age, eventually learned guitar, and when she graduated from college, she decided she wanted to pursue a career in songwriting and music, so she moved to Nashville. She talks about living in Nashville and cutting her teeth in songwriting in Nashville, eventually moving to Los Angeles. She talks about the project she had prior to Sad Alex getting signed with Red Bull Records, a publishing deal, and now on Red Bull Records' record label. And we talk all about her new record, Cry Dancing. You can watch our interview with Sad Alex on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're an Amazon shopper, a portion of your everyday purchases will help support our podcast with just a few clicks. It's super easy. Please head over to our website, bringingitbackwards.com, and click on Amazon each time you begin your purchases. Those few extra clicks will help keep our mission of providing a platform for both legendary and rising artists to tell their personal stories on how they achieve stardom so that all artists and music enthusiasts have access to meaningful and memorable advice that will help inspire their own musical journeys. To recap, please head over to bringingitbackwards.com and click on Amazon before you make each and every purchase because a portion of that purchase will add up in a big way to help support our mission. Thank you so much. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Sad Alex. So this podcast is about you and your journey in music, and we'll talk about your new record. Yeah. You know, I feel like I've been talking a lot about it. Just <laughs> becoming a, a normal thing. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, you're in L.A. now? I am. I'm in L.A. I'm in Glassell Park on the east side. Okay. You're originally from L.A.? Mm -mm. I'm from Delaware, east coast. Delaware. Talk to me about growing up in Delaware. <sighs> uh, you know, Delaware is a place that exists and um it's <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty cool you know i had a good childhood there good place to raise a family good place to go shopping no sales tax uh oh, there you go start a business my llc is there because it's cheaper um but delaware is kind of one of those places that's always right where you left it you know you go back and it's it's still still delaware still delaware still delaware yeah okay kind of a okay. weird state because it's like right where the the Mason Dixon line that like, goes like right through or went like right through the middle of the state. So Northern Delaware and Southern Delaware, very different places, but such a small state that it's just kind of, you get a weird variety in Delaware. It's very Were you from North or South? North. Okay. What's the difference? Uh, <laughs> well, depending on, you know, no shade in Northern Delaware, there is a saying called slower, lower Delaware. But oh, okay. <laughs> But I'm not gonna, you know, put. <laughs> I, I go to the I go to the beaches in Lower Delaware and stuff, and it can be like dewy. All that stuff can be really fun. It just okay. it's like the northern, the top third of the state is like the most densely populated, and then the bottom third is like spread out rural farmland. Oh, okay. So it just like it just changes drastically from feeling like a very East Coast northern city to feeling like you're in the country. You're in the middle of the country, right on. Okay. And how did you get into music? Family musical at all? Siblings? Um, kind of like my my parent. My mom was like she just sang all the time we were growing up. Um, she's a great voice actually, and um, she and my dad put me and my sisters in piano lessons when we were really young, mm -hmm. and kind of forced us to stay with it for a while, which I really actually in the moment didn't appreciate, but now do appreciate. Gave us a choice, like probably in high school, I think, or maybe freshman year, I can't remember what it was, that if we wanted to continue doing it, and me and my one sister did. And I started writing songs when I was like 12. I, I didn't really know why or what I was doing, but I was just kind of making these little songs and thought they were fun to make. And I would only do it when I thought I was home alone. It was a very private thing. Okay. Um, but it was just this kind of like you know, tangential hobby for a long time. Like I would really, I would only write if I felt 
compelled to do so. It was a very sacred thing. I could never think of even doing it if my family was home, unless I would like lock myself in the basement late at night or something where no one could hear me. It was a very private experience. Okay. And um, that continued, honestly, like through high school and stuff, I started to play like at little coffee shops and that kind of thing, like very, or like our high school had sort of a, a club that at, at the end of the school day, sometimes like once every few months or something, we would do like a little live performance and I would play like some yellow card song or something like <laughs> actually love yellow card. Not stupid. Great songs. Only one. I think. Okay. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. And, um, and then in college, I kind of was, I was doing it the same. Like I would go, I was part of the music program. I would take music classes and stuff. So I had access to these little music practice rooms and I would write in there occasionally but I was never really taking it seriously. It wasn't something that I was like, you know, really pursuing. I was still very much focused on school and partying and like all these other things. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't really, I decided like it, halfway through college that I wanted to try music, but I had no idea what that meant or what that entailed. And I by no means had the talent or the resume to back that up. And so I, once I graduated, I just packed my car up and moved to Nashville, which was purely just because I, I knew 10 people in Nashville. I knew five people in LA. So I moved to Nashville. That was like as much thought as went into it. Oh, wow. I'm in Nashville now, but I'm originally really? from Southern California. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at you. I love it here. What in Nashville? Uh, it's Franklin. Okay, so cool. South. Yeah. yeah. I lived in, um, well, I kind of lived all over, but I had an apartment in like right outside the Gulch, but like not, it, that sounds like it was fancy. It wasn't fancy. There was like, okay. <laughs> like this neighborhood. If you go over the bridge, like you pass turnip truck, like on your right uh -huh. and you go over the bridge and there's this little neighborhood right there. And 14th Avenue, there was this like thing. It was this house that the landlord had extended back and added three units onto it. And it was like, it was a really shitty apartment. I loved that apartment, <laughs> but like, it was so, I don't, I'm not convinced it was up to building codes. Probably and not. <laughs> like, literally like you could hear like squirrels living in the walls. Like when we would have like tornadoes and stuff, I was convinced I was like, this building is not going to make it. Like it just right. was not. And when, when it was cold, when your feet would be on the ground, like you would feel the cold earth. Like it was just like your feet were on the earth and you don't even know what that feels like until you experience it. And then you realize that most places you've been in have like proper insulation. And then when you understand how cold the earth is in the winter and oh, you're yeah. on it. And I dealt with critters and stuff that I've, I'm trying to like, I try to remove from my memories. Try to block it out. <laughs> I even tell you. Cause like I ended up when I moved here, I got really depressed there, whatever broke my leg, all sorts of stuff. And then, oh um, once I was cleared to like be able to not have to get some crazy psychotic surgery, I told my friend, I was like, I'm going to drive to LA. I don't know how long I'm going to be there. I'm just going to try to do some stuff, try to kind of reset and, you know, get some sunshine, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And while I was gone, I was like, I'm going to rent this place on Airbnb and you're going to help me run it. And we're just going to try to make some money. And that actually paid for like the first six months I was here, I made like, 50 grand off Airbnb from renting that apartment out. That's before like, really? I probably shouldn't say that. I don't think it was totally legal, but, um, I, <laughs> who's going to, who's going to come after you now? <laughs> cause the thing is like, it, it actually, it was legal initially. Cause I told my landlord, he was fine with it. And it was like, and I was so honest. Like I took these pictures with my phone and I told people like on the description, I was like, yo, if you're looking for like a really nice, luxurious place to like chill in Nashville and, and like be able to have you know, parties or like stay in the place. This is not the place for you. If you're <laughs> looking for a place to just put your shit down and explore the city and literally just like sleep here with you and maybe one other person, this could be your place. And I was, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was being super like it was 80 bucks a night or something that I was charging and obviously more during like CMA week and shit. Mm -hmm. And at first it was great. And people were super like, I was just getting a lot of those, you know, cheap gypsy travelers coming through wanting like a place to put their stuff down. That was great. But then as people do, they become more needy. And also that place was not designed for the heavy traffic that it started to get like people coming in every few days, like in and out, in and out, like it just started to get run down. And then mm -hmm. they would tell me, they're like, I hear things living in the walls 
And I, it was like so badly built. Like I was quite literally concerned that like the bathroom floor was going to cave in. Like those were concerns that I had. Oh my. <laughs> and the final straw, like I, I sent a pest guy to go check out the place. And he was, he came back to me. He's like, look, I'll be honest with you. Like rats, squirrels, all that stuff. They can get through holes that are like, you know, this big, they can make their way into your, your, your home. Mm-hmm. You have several points of contact in this apartment that I can stick my entire arm (laughs) that I could walk in. (laughs) I I could charge you $1,500 to like try to set up some traps and stuff, but I'm telling you, like, you're just kind of like, you're dealing with a much bigger problem here. And then they changed the Airbnb laws a bit. And so then I was actually not technically supposed to be doing it without certain permits. And so I decided to cash out while I was ahead and because it started to bring more stress. People were just like, People wanted luxury and stuff. And I was like, bro, I said from the beginning, this is not luxury. And so I had to let it go. But yeah, getting you bad reviews, like breakfast was terrible. Exactly. <laughs> people were so mad and people would call me and threaten. They were threatening to, you know, report me to like the building, Nashville building codes and all this stuff. And I was like, look, like, I know it's a piece of shit apartment. I can't, I don't know how else. I didn't even do like the fisheye lens shit. I was, I was just taking pictures with my phone. Like it was just like, but you know, people, people have needs. And so I let it go. I, I would be shocked if that building still stands now. I could not imagine it's still there. (laughs) Okay. Because Reggie, he would get letters, people offering him obscene amounts of money to buy that piece of land so they could build something so they could wipe it out. Of course. Yeah, so, they're doing that. Like, I mean, it's insane how much Nashville's building and the all surrounding areas are just like crazy, crazy right now. So I must imagine, I actually reconnected with my neighbor about that recently. And I think, yeah, I think it's it's gone. Oh, he cashed but out. It's, Whoever owned it, the owner cashed out. Yeah, I think that's actually a sad story. I think he actually died. I wasn't going to get oh. into that. But, oh my um, goodness. R.I.P. Reginald <laughs> yeah. Burney, really nice guy. And now this podcast is about this. It's just all sad. <laughs> well, I, it was on my brain. I was like, should I bring up that Reggie died? And I was like, I don't think I should bring up that Reggie died. Cause I was really sad when I heard it. Cause my, my neighbor and I reconnected, he told me that. And I was like, it's one of those things that you, a, a piece of news you, you hear and it brings you that emotional confusion. Cause it's like, you know, you haven't seen, this is a landlord that you had however many years ago, but right. it still makes you sad because Reggie was like really kind to me. Yeah, and I'm like, well, like, he's a nice guy. Ouch. And he wasn't that old. He must have died. It was, he must have been like in his 60s. I think he had some health complications or something. And I'm just like, damn, yeah, Reggie. Too bad. So, Poor uh, Reggie. This is dedicated to to Reggie. This this episode is, goes out to Reggie. Yeah. Um. Wow. Okay. You did talk about um, going back to your music, how, yeah. you know, writing and, and performing and stuff was something sacred to you and you didn't like to share with people. What, what point did you have the confidence to show somebody your song? And then, I mean, eventually get to the point where you're playing coffee shops. There was a, I mean, I think the coffee shop thing was still even like when I was really embarrassed and like private about it, I would do it, but I was very like nervous and like, you know, not, I wasn't, I was still practicing in private and like, wasn't, wasn't really like, it was a weird thing for me to get used to. Um, And I had serious stage fright and all this stuff. Um, But then there was a switch that flipped because once I made the decision that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I realized that that did come with the burden of like, you have to, play music for people and I think there was almost a switch because it it reminds me of like when I was a kid I used to be really OCD clean like crazy crazy OCD like I would not be able to fall asleep unless all the lights were out in the house and I would be like crying and like really stressed out about it and then all of a sudden when I was a teenager switch flipped and I was the messiest person on this earth and I feel like something similar happened with music like I was so private about it wouldn't share anything and then all of a sudden when I was like decided to do it moved to Nashville I kind of switched and I was just like whatever I'm gonna play anywhere that'll have me I'm gonna write this music and I I was so like delusionally motivated that like even if I had the shittiest songs they were crap songs and I would play them for anyone that would listen like I was just like relentlessly just doing it, which was good. I mean, mm-hmm. I think for the part, the point of my life that I was in, that was important to have that level of just like, you know, blind, like confidence. Almost. <laughs> blind confidence. I like that. But I, 
it was, and it just taught me to get a little bit more comfortable with ripping the bandaid and a little more comfortable with sharing songs with people. And especially when they were really bad. And so now I can discern that a little bit better and have like, you know, share good songs, good songs. <laughs> yeah. or at least okay ones. I don't know. Yeah. When you decided to move to Nashville, um, was it, did you, did you say you finished college or you stopped going? You finished. I finished college. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I want to pursue music. I'm going to move to Nashville. And then how you get to Nashville, you get your apartment. And then like, how do you even like get into writing rooms or meet people or. I mean, I wouldn't call what I was first doing writing rooms. I think it was more like a, I would meet someone at mm -hmm. a, a bar and you'd be like, Hey, my name's Alex. And they'd be like, my name's Bill. And you'd be like, let's write. And then Bill would come over to your house the next day with a guitar and you'd write a song. We wouldn't even record it. Like I, the thing that I was operating so like amateurly, like we were not like, I did not have my recording, even though I had logic and all this stuff, I wasn't, I, I hadn't connected the dots that I could actually record things myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was literally just writing with these random people, these random songs that we would sometimes record the demo on my, our phone or something, but it was like really, it was some really amateur stuff, but I just did that as often as I could. Cause I think I just handled it like one problem at a time. And it's hard for me to even, it feels so long ago and it feels like it's such a different version of me that I sometimes can't even remember how I operated in life. If that makes sense. Like I literally can't even remember like my mindset. Like I think my, I tackled everything at like first it was like, okay, let me get a bar job so I can, handle my basic needs of paying rent and like, you know, doing that. And then I was just like researching any place that had live music, whatever. I was going to as many shows and events as I could to meet as many people. I had business cards on me all the time, which is so like cringy now. And like, was just absolutely prepared at any point to like meet, talk, connect, get coffee. Like the amount of like shit that I would do, tr like driving around the city to meet people for useless coffee meetings and stuff, but I was just trying to do, I was just absolutely guerrilla style going into the, whatever would make the career work and whatever I thought I had to do. Mm -hmm. And it taught me a lot. I mean, cause I was just managing myself. I was releasing music myself. I was figuring everything out. And it definitely taught me a lot about that sort of level of self-discipline and self-motivation that you need all even albeit the songs being crap, albeit like doing things on a very amateur level. It's still, I did a lot of stuff. I booked, I booked a tour independently. I, you know, recorded and figured out how to like, you know, mix and master and not for me personally, but like figured out how to like get that stuff done. And all it was like a learning experience that I think part of it helps me out today. Although now I have a lot of people to help me out with all those details. And I appreciate that, but, um, mm -hmm. It's good to, I always recommend to people that you, as much as you can learn to do yourself and as self-sufficient as you can be, I think is one of the most powerful tools in this industry to be, to have longevity and to have just some sense of security at all. I completely agree with you. And at what point did you decide to move to LA and why did you choose to leave? I, I'd been in Nashville for like two, two and a half years. I had reached a bit of a stagnant place where I was still in my mind doing music as my priority, but realistically I wasn't. I'd, I'd started bartending at um, Rippies and I was just absolutely like just overworked to the bone there. I was being, cause you really, when you work at a place like that, bartending wise, you have very little say in your schedule and you're being just worked to death. You're not, you're getting 250 an hour and working. It's just like a really, oh, just like tips only kind of tips only. So it's a very like, stressful, competitive environment. If you're like the lowest, if you have the lowest sales three weeks in a row, you get fired. They're like, there's a lot of like things they would keep track of. And by nature, you also, you're drinking a lot more cause you're drinking like, you know, during you're sneaking drinking during your shift. You're drinking after your shift with the people you work with. You're, they were right. just a lot more unhealthy stuff. Not to say I don't drink now. I, I still do, but like to the, the level of the partying and stuff that was happening then and how I ended up just majority of my time was being funneled into that. And then I just had like some bad body image issues. And I was my, my whole like kind of 
view of the world and myself was really warped and I was working out like crazy, but like had a really bad relationship with food, all this stuff. And I ended up, um, I had previously gotten a knee, a knee surgery first. I'd been dislocating my knee since I was a kid. And oh, then wow. the complication of that surgery, I ended up breaking my kneecap in half because I was working out. Like, even though I was cleared to be working out, I was doing crazy, like CrossFit style workouts that I really probably shouldn't have been doing yet. And I was just going way too hard and broke my kneecap in half. They didn't even know until like six weeks in. And then I, it was basically, it basically went like this. And so it was hanging on by like the end. And if it totally split, that would be like even worse. But I was like hanging like here and it took, I was in a leg immobilizer for six months, not even, couldn't bend my leg at all. And to bring the kneecap back together. And so that was probably like, that was when it was just a really low point, but I think it was sort of necessary because I, at that point, I couldn't work as much. I still was bartending though, with a leg, like limping around bartending. Cause you weirdly like with that kind of injury, you can still bear weight on it. You just can't mm-hmm. bend it. Bearing weight can actually help come like get the bone to come together, but oh, wow. it's the bending you just can't it more. Bend the knee. You're just almost yeah. like straight legged. Oh, wow. I mean, obviously being on your feet all day is still not recommended, but the bearing is <laughs> not like the, the biggest problem, okay. but it did force me. Like I definitely wasn't able to go out and do all these things. And so I kind of had to regroup and I was really depressed. Like it was a very dark time, but like I, I at the very least like opened my computer and I was like, well, I mean, I have my hands. I have this software. I could still make music. And so I really, that was when I started to actually start recording my own stuff, producing my, like just on the very bare minimum level, just try to start doing something myself. Mm-hmm. And then once I was able to get out of the kind of danger zone with my injury, I, cause I was looking at having to get this crazy surgery where I would have had like a 10 inch incision down my leg and it was, they were going to, they were going to wrap it in wire, take some bone splooge from my hip and like put it in my knee. It was terrible, but I oh avoided that. Yeah. It was horrible. Dark times, but avoided that surgery. Once I was like cleared that I wasn't going to break my kneecap at any given moment, I just, I recognized that I was not in the right place and my priorities were kind of messed up. So I quit my bar job. I had saved up a lot of money from that because we made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just drove to, I drove to California in my car and I brought like most of my stuff, but not a lot of it. I left in that apartment. Cause I thought I assumed I was probably going to go back, but then mm-hmm. And my only goal at that point, my only holistic goal was just to like, cause I really wasn't loving life or music or anything anymore. I was feeling very disassociated. So I just, I just set the holistic goal of just like, I want to like life again and I want to like music and I want to feel grateful for what I do. And I just want to like stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So I like, I, and it was that drive was, was so transformative. I know it sounds kind of lame, but like, I literally, everyone was like, you drove there. Why wouldn't you fly there and ship your car? I was like, yo, the drive was my favorite part of that move. Like I loved it. Like going through the mountains, going through different, like you're going through desert and snow and like all crazy shit. And, and then got to LA and things kind of fell into place a lot quicker in terms of the people I met and the session. Cause I, at that point I had a little bit more of a basis of people that I could connect with out here. And just right off the bat, the quality of the songs. I remember the first song that I sat down to write in LA, it was almost like something had clicked in my brain. Cause for the longest time, I think I just, I, I've, convinced myself. I was like, you know what? I just don't think you ever like your own music. I think it's just a thing. Cause I would listen to the music I was making and I would recognize, I was like, this doesn't sound very good, but maybe that's just (laughs) what you think about your music. Maybe you just never like it, whatever. And I was like, I would listen to very cool music. I had very good taste in music, but I, there was a disconnect on how to create something that was close to that taste level. And something about the drive to LA shifted something in my brain that at the very least connected. I was just like, Oh, I think I know how to do this. And I remember the first song I sat down to write was called hung up. It's actually on, it's under my old artist name, but like 
it's on Spotify and all that stuff. And it still stands up as a pretty good song. Like I, I don't know what it was. I just sat down, I figured it out. And that was kind of just like started this momentum of better writing, better intention, and just better figuring out who I was and what my sound was and all that stuff. And it still, I had a couple years of growth from there, but in terms of like the graph from Nashville growth versus the graph of LA growth were like drastically different. Okay. And were you writing with other people? Cause I know you've, you've written songs for other people, right? Yeah. Um, I think I, I, when I first moved here, I was doing a combination. I would write for other people's project. I would write for my own project. And I met like Gazzo who worked on a lot of my, like we worked on a bunch of stuff together and especially over the last few years. And um, we, I just met these people that just kind of helped shape the beginning of a lot of these, of these things and people that were just much better writers and much better producers and able to push me a lot more to become better. Mm-hmm. So um, it, Yes. To answer your question, I was doing, I was doing a bit of both, but I wasn't like, I wasn't necessarily competitively writing for pitch or artists at the beginning. Um, but I was at least starting to build up a better catalog of music that was uh-huh. more usable to send to industry people. Cause I think up until that point, I had nearly nothing that was really, you know, A and R ready to send to anyone. It was really amateur stuff. And, but I finally started to have these products. I was like, Oh, this sounds closer to these things that I hear that I think sound good. So like, it was just kind of finally falling into place for that. What was the first like victory you had as far as the song went? I remember when I, the Alexa projects, I used to go under a L X X a was my old artist project. And, um, we released a song called nobody that independently got, new music Friday and all these things. And I didn't really know what that meant at that time. And it doesn't, it still doesn't really mean anything, but it was the first time I had put out something on my own that generated a response at all. Mm-hmm. And then um, finally, after like the Red Bull publishing deal was something that happened maybe three years into the LA experience. And that was after, you know, five, how, how long was that? When did I get signed there? 20, so like five or six years of just grinding with pretty much nothing to show for my music monetarily or anything, mm-hmm. the publishing deal, which was a result of a lot of the first songs that I'd written in LA, um, was probably the first major win of being like, Oh, here's someone that's sees something. And I, I still was pretty green. I think when I signed to Red Bull, um, but you know, Billy Mann, who I, Billy Mann and Liz Baylog and all these people that were in charge of the publishing at that time. Um, I, I really do have a lot of gratitude towards them because I think they heard something, particularly Billy, he must, he heard something there that he thought had potential and signed it. Whereas like when I listen to those old songs now, I'm like, oh, yikes. Like, I don't know if I would have signed me then. Like maybe they made a mistake, but um no, they were so great. And they put me in within two weeks of signing that publishing deal. They put me in um, Kelly Rowland writing camp, which I felt like wow. radically unprepared for. And it, um, but it was awesome. And that was like, I just learned so much right off the bat. And they just filled my schedule with sessions with people that were actually like, you know, really starting to get consistently legit, legitimate sessions. And I just became a lot better very quickly. I felt like I'd sort of prepped myself to get a little bit more of the bullshit out of the way. And then at that point I was more of a ready loaded sponge to start writing better and more consistently. And I think that two years of like that first part of the publishing deal was really, really big for me in terms of becoming a better writer. And I just did a bunch of camps. That's when I was doing a lot more artist writing and stuff. So every kind of window of time had a purpose and my, for me personally, it took a long time. I know there's a lot of artists and writers that fall into their groove quickly. They write their biggest song when they're 14 years old and like <laughs> it never have a problem with getting cool and whatever. It just took me a long time. I don't know why, but it did. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I try not to regret that too much. It's just like, it's just what my brain and stuff needed. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't ever achieve what you have, you know what I mean? And they work totally. their whole life at it. So. Yeah. And you're still signed to Red Bull. 
I am. So after a couple of years of being with the publishing, they actually signed me to the record side as well for the Sad Alex project, okay. which is also a major win too. Mm-hmm. When did you change uh, the project to Sad Alex? Three years ago, okay. I believe. I think. Yeah. Three, and three honestly, I, I think so. I could be wrong, but I think it's three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be coming up on four. I can't remember. But it was, um, it was something that the second we did that, because the Alexa project had some highs, but it was very much a flawed project. First off, when Amazon put out Alexa, I was fucked because <laughs> it, like, it just, I tried to convince myself in my head that maybe it was a good thing. Like, oh, maybe you'll collab with Amazon. Like, bitch, shut up. <laughs> like, you're not going to collab with the biggest company in the world. And it just, it was a search engine result nightmare. I couldn't find my own music and I knew what I was looking for, let alone if someone right. else was trying to find my stuff. And it was also based on a flawed concept of having no concept at all besides just trying to be some sexy electro pop chick. And the problem with that is that, you know, you come to LA, I'm like a seven in LA and you're trying to compete with the sexiest people in, in sexy electro pop stuff. It's just like, you don't, I'm not putting myself in a winning race, you know, of trying to compete in the sexy. So I just found myself constantly in this battle with myself. I like, I felt like with my music and with performing and stuff, I had to put on some kind of like sexy Cape that wasn't really naturally who I was. Mm -hmm. And, and whenever I would get asked a simple question of just like, so what is Alexa? What is the project? I would just be like, no, no. And it was very, I, I recognized, I was like, that's a big problem. And then my current creative director, I always credit him for the idea. He called me, it was right actually before that nobody song came out, we had already submitted it and everything. And he called me, it was pretty late. And he was like, Hey, Alex, I have this idea. You have to change your artist name. Cause my last name is Saad, S-A-A-D. It's Palestinian. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you have to change your artist name to Sad Alex. And the second he said it, it kind of, I knew immediately, I was like, fuck, that's a way cooler artist name. But I, I was very reluctant and stubborn. And I was like, no, you're, you're wrong. Like, I don't want to be sad. Alex. Like, oh. And I was like really stubborn about it, but it planted this seed that just like festered. And then for, after like eight months later, a bunch of shit had fallen apart. Like we were supposed to get this distribution deal, fell apart at the last minute, hadn't put out music in six months. And I was crying in my car trying to figure out life. And then I was like, you know what? No one's waiting for Alexa music. I don't even like this project. Probably best thing I could do right now is shift gears. And so I changed the name, changed the approach, started to draw my artwork rather than like trying to take some like headshot for like every, you know, <laughs> art, like, artwork. Yeah. That's yeah. A nightmare. I hate that shit so much. I hate it when the song's <laughs> called like, you know, ceiling fan and it's just like you hanging on a ceiling fan <laughs> or not that, that i could actually fuck with it's more just like when it's like a, a headshot that's just like has nothing to do with the song i don't know that shit bothers me but um i things just started to fall into place a lot easier and everything became a lot more clear because i could not only did the name feel more natural i hated it when people called me alexa that never felt like me so once people called me alex i could honor my heritage more i could honor my deal my you know, mental health stuff that I've dealt with. Um, it also had an element of sarcasm to it, which helped play into like sense of humor and comedy and all that stuff. So everything just fell into place. And rather than trying to be some like sexy electro pop person that I wasn't, and I could just try to be myself, which has still taken a long time to figure out, but like at least the, the objective felt more clear. Okay. You said you do all the art. You do you do the drawings. Like I yeah. love your website. Thank you so much. I mean, I didn't. I, I'm not like a, I can't do websites, but I drew the drawings that go on the art, website. Right, right. That's what I mean. Like all the artwork for the website. Well, with the exception of there's a visualizer, a bedroom visualizer that we did collaborate with another artist for this um, EP mm -hmm. thing, and I did not draw that bedroom. That's a little bit out of my skill set. But anything that's like white background, basic black and pink kind of design yeah. that, that's stuff that i drew that's awesome yeah thanks that's man awesome. yeah i really like your website even the the one that, what you're talking about with the bedroom and you can click on the different icons and it 
it's like a song will pop up or whatever. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really creative. The website is really well done. I think that's the, um, a lot of the Red Bull people that helped me kind of take the designs that I'd done and implement them into web design, which is a whole different world. I'm not mm. super tech savvy in that way, but I do like the way it turned out. It looks awesome. I love it. Thank you. Um, real quick on the new record. When, when do you start working on that? Like, where were you when COVID happened? Did that affect the album? Yeah. I mean, I think well, all I really wanted for this body of work was to try to show an honest depiction of the variety of the creative process over the last couple of years. And um, so this song was, it was a, bunch of random songs that never really were meant to be together, but they reflected a lot of different points of the creative process. Like some, one song was written four years ago uh, in a very different stage of my writing process and, you know, what I, how I approached writing music. And one was written six months ago and went viral on TikTok and is more of a comedy thing. And kind of like, it just was playing at all of these different emotional layers which felt a little bit disconnected and that's i think how a lot of that's how i felt a lot of 2020 was kind of up and down and trying to get you had to get creative about getting creative you had to figure out how else you're going to get inspired how are you going to keep working how are you going to do things and um so i feel like this ep just tried to reflect that it wasn't it wasn't a, a predictable single note thing it was kind of up and down and all around and trying to make light out of sad stuff. And um, yeah. Tell me about the TikTok moment. Uh, the TikTok moment. I think it's so funny. Cause like, you know, I'm old and <laughs> like when I'm old too. Yeah, so like, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm sure <laughs> when, when you're old and someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you have to get on this app. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I'm going to kill myself. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's a dark joke. I, I shouldn't say that. But um, I, someone says that and you're just like, okay. And you open up this app and you're just like, oh my God, what am I going to do on this thing? And people are dancing. People are looking hot. People are doing everything that's like my worst nightmare. That I'm just like, fuck, I can't do this <laughs> stuff. Like, no way. And, but I'm pragmatic and I, I do try to, I understand that and I understood from the beginning and what I was seeing, I was like, okay, this is a useful tool for music. I'm seeing how it's working for people. I'm seeing, especially during COVID, it seems to be a very real thing that I need to try to utilize. Mm -hmm. And so I just started to grind and it was pretty bad. I would consistently get feedback from my managers being like, this isn't very good. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I saw your TikTok. It's not very good. <laughs> so what you did today. Didn't think it was very good. I was like, I know. I, I also didn't think it was very good. And it was just bad. And then finally, I just, I think I, I was trying to find a groove with it. And eventually, cause I, I had a sort of viral moment with this song that I did called a, it was a song about Planned Parenthood. And that was my first time just trying to write like a funny song about a life experience. And it did pretty well. And so I was like, okay. So I tried to start tapping into that more. And also just like, I just tried to consistently like leak music on there. Cause I have so much music. I don't really give a shit. Like I could upload a song every day for the next probably two years and not run out of songs. Some would wow. be that I probably could. And I, so I just started uploading stuff and then I just tried to get, I, I always promised like my team, I was like, I can promise to be consistent. I can't promise to be good all the time, but I can promise to be consistent. So I was just trying to consistently upload stuff. I posted a video leaking a song, leaking Come Over actually, which was on the EP. Mm -hmm. I was leaking that song. I had a very real nip slip that I didn't realize when I, oh, when I uploaded the video. People think I planted it, didn't plant it. It was a real <laughs> nip slip. Like legit, like did not know it happened. That video started to get a little bit of traction and I remember it was, I was at a family, like little mini family reunion. I had posted it. I didn't even think about it. I was hanging out with my family, not trying to pay attention to my phone, come back to my phone, like several hours later, notice I was like, oh, this video is doing kind of well. And then I see all the comments. It's just like, babe, your nipple came out. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like going to this thing. And my first, my first moment was like panic. I was like, oh my God my nipple. And then I realized I was like, wait, I don't care about my nipple at all. So then I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And my man, I was like, is this a problem? He's like, I don't know. Is it a problem for you? I was like, no. And he's like, then it's not a problem. And I was like, cool. 
And because obviously we were like, well, TikTok will probably find it soon and take it down and whatever, right. what's going to happen. And one of the comments from that was IBTC. And it was not meant in like a, I don't think it was meant in like a bullying way. I think it was a kind of a, she had put like emojis and stuff on it and then like IBTC. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. I remember people saying that and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. School. <laughs> and so I wrote that song or just the verse chorus, probably 25 minutes. And I literally put so little, I just recorded the guitar vocal. And it's usually like me at the end of a day after a writer's thing, like, okay, now I have to clock in for TikTok really quick. Here's this thing. And I, I'm grateful when someone makes a comment that gives me an idea because I'm like sick. Now I don't have to come up with an idea of my fucking self. So mm-hmm. here's an idea. I'll just write it really quick, uploaded it, didn't think anything of it. I was just like, oh, phew, my TikTok requirement is done for the day. Right. I don't have to think about it. And then I came back to it and I saw that it was getting quite a bit of traction, more than I'd ever seen. And I texted people. I was like, hey, like, this video is doing something. And they were like, uh, it's probably going to taper off soon. Like, it was at like 300,000 views or something like that. They're like, no, nah, it's probably going to taper off soon. And it just kept on going. And it was like this weird, I had never experienced. And I think it's really funny when you're, when something like that's happening and you're sitting in your bed eating trail mix or something and you're just like, what's happening? And you're just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like this weird thing. Like I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't really know what was going on. It wasn't like I was celebrating it or anything. Cause I don't really, I try not to care too much about this stuff, but I was like, this is pretty interesting. And then I remember I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to post it. A bunch of people are asking for an open verse version. So I think I'm going to post it with an open verse version. And even my manager was like, yeah, I don't know if you should do that. I was like, I'm going to do it. I posted that. And then the amount of people, I just never, I could not believe how many people were posting verses to it. And there was a window of time similar to like, I've seen the same effect with different artists that have songs that are going viral on it. Now, Mm -hmm. if the song, if the sound is doing well, it was almost like I was handing out viral tickets to anyone who chose to like duet it with a verse. Like people were just constantly, like so many people were getting viral stuff, including Miles who we did the remix with and his went even more viral than my original video went. And so like, I just felt like for a minute, there was so much attention. I went from having like 20,000 followers on there to like 200,000 in a matter of a couple weeks. Wow. Was just, it is a level of growth that you just don't see on any other platform. So as much as I, I'm not saying like TikTok is not always the best thing. It can be really unhealthy. It can be all of these things and it doom scrolling vibes, whatever. But like the other night, like I, I love like ASMR and shit. And then all of a sudden I'm like, how is it like four, one in the morning? I'm on Spanish ASMR. Like, how did I get here? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. I can't even understand what's going on, but I've been watching for 30 minutes. But um, I think like it was just a wild situation. And so now I've just tried to do the best that I can to like, tap into that platform and that community because it's gone from being something that I was just trying to get done every day to being by far the biggest audience that I have a reach to. So it's a hundred percent changed how I try to approach my daily routine and my priorities. But at the same time, like it's hard because I don't want to be the person in order to really crush TikTok. I would probably have to every day be spending four or five hours to make really good, consistent content. But then I wouldn't be able to be in sessions the way I am or putting out music the way I am. And I don't want to lose that. So I'm, I'm just trying to find more of a balance so I can still try to do it, still do good videos whenever I can, but I can't be, I can't be a TikTok ho for life. You know, like I got it. It's like a full-time thing, right? It is. If I really wanted to crush it, it would have to be like everything that I did. And I just, I'm unwilling to give up, you know, being in the studio and doing these things. And I've talked to people that are like, yeah, like I took two months off and I focused on TikTok and I got all this growth, but then I realized I hadn't written a real song in two months and it freaks me out. And so like people all kind of go through it on how to mitigate that. And you want to feed your audience and give them what they want, but you also got to do your job, but then somehow your job is also that. So it's very confusing. But um, for the most part, it's been good. Like I will say like most of the, I, I, I'm lucky enough for now that I haven't had like, you know, too much trolling or whatever. I get mostly positive feedback on there and um, have been able to consistently still upload stuff that does well, not quite as well as um, itty bitty titty yet, but, and maybe that was my hit. I don't know, but like, (laughs) I still, I still still do. Okay. And, um, 
and it's just been interesting. It's just been fun and it helps give people come to the shows from that. People have found the projects in that. So, and they stream, they stream songs from there too. Like the translation from different platforms from originating from TikTok is pretty wild. So yeah. I was going to ask if you, so you did see some uh, growth like on Spotify and, and different yeah, other, other people like because of it. it's weird. It's one of the only places where people will actually click on a link and go buy merch or click on a link and go stream a song, whatever it is like pre-save you can get, I think we had like 20,000 pre-saves for IBTC or something when we were putting wow. it out. And that's like, that's something that never happens. When you share a link on Instagram, you are lucky if you get like a 0.03% click rate, you know? Like oh, I know. It's Isn't that wild? It's I, and from what I hear, and I don't know if this is true, but like the difference between you know Instagram and Facebook or whatever, and TikTok is TikTok, the algorithm's t totally different, right? I mean, pretty much almost everything goes on to the main page. Well, you to have a certain a lot, extent. It's changed a lot too, and I think just as it's become more and more saturated, it's definitely not as easy as it used to be. But it's still, at the end of the day, regardless of who you are, you have a chance to break through and get your stuff in front of tons of eyes and ears, which is not mm -hmm. the case for something like Instagram or Facebook. And I know, and, <laughs> and that is wild because I think it does, it really doesn't matter how many followers or what your thing is. You it's, it's completely like unpredictable every day. You can post something and it can go crazy. Like I posted a video of me and my friend in a pool with a mirror on the ceiling and I literally was, it was a throwaway post. I was just trying to get my post done for the day, got 3 million views. And I was just like, why? Wow. And it just did. That's crazy. That is crazy. 3 million up, people looked at that, looked at that video. Million, it was like, cause we were, I mean, we were, we were tripping on things, on the stuff. Oh, okay. And uh, we were in Mexico city and we were staying at this hotel that had a really cool, like, it was a rooftop indoor pool and I had a mirror on the ceiling. And if you're ever dripping acid in a pool with a mirror on the ceiling, Film. 10 out of 10 experience. <laughs> and we just like, we're swimming around and my friend was recording it and he just has a really funny laugh. And I think I just did like a text to speech thing that was like, when you're, you know, on a rainbow and you're in this pool with a mirror on the ceiling. And it was just like the way the timing of it was. And it was a really short video. Oh my God. Is this going to, are you really going to do this right now? Is this what you're going to do? <laughs> this, this is what you're going to do right now. I love it. Okay. Um, this is Boopy. This isn't even my cat, but he's, he's coming for the show. Hi, cat. Uh, yeah. Boopy? Boopy. This is my roommate's girlfriend's cat. And he, he just got, he just wants to be the star right now. He just wants to be the main character. It's all good. Straight up. But anyway, yeah, it's just so random shit that can just go do very well. And you have no rhyme or reason as to why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because like you, you could have 200,000 followers on Facebook or whatever and post something and six people yeah. <laughs> could like it. And you're like, yeah. how did that happen? But I guess, yeah. you know, they're they're going to hide what they're going to hide. And unless you're feeding the beast with, you know, sponsored posts. And oh, my God. Yeah, it's brutal. It is so brutal the way they force you to just give them money. So your stuff does well. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, um, you have a show. What? coming up or did you just play a show i had the ep release show last month at no vacancy which was great um mm -hmm. we had we were able to like we decorated it out with like sad alex stuff we had like a photo booth we had um like projectors up with a bunch of the drawings and everything and really it was really fun but it was completely sold out it was a really good show and then it's awesome I just played, there's one of my favorite showcases in LA has started up again in person called School Night. Oh yeah, I've been yeah. to that before. They're great. And they, my friend um, Sharon runs it with uh, Chris Doritos and there's a bunch of people, Ryan and whoever else that's on the team there. But um, she had asked me to play a show and I'm just trying to play, I'm trying to play more often because I think that's one of the things getting back into that. I don't have a huge live basis. Like I didn't grow up playing in bands and warp tour culture or anything like that. So like mm -hmm. try, it's not necessarily like riding a bike to me. Like I like to do it and I can be pretty good at it, but I just don't have the same basis to be able to rely on myself to be good without practicing it. So I want to just try to play more often right now. So in the event that hopefully some more 
live or tour opportunities come up next year. I'm not coming in totally cold to it. Mm-hmm. And this was a fun show. It was really cool. They had it like they're now, since they got a pretty good Twitch presence from this past, they were doing everything remotely during COVID, got uh-huh. a really big Twitch presence doing virtual shows, which I did one of those as well. Um, and so, but this time we had the live show in person, which had like a good turnout and people were there and they also were streaming in at the same time. And there was 13,000 people watching. Wow. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So it was really fun. Um, I just tried, I'm also just trying to have, cause I think shows can stress me out and I'm trying to make it so like a show doesn't stress me out and take over my whole life. Like I can just do it and have fun and then Mm -hmm. let it go. You know, you don't have to like overthink or overstress it. I'm kind of an overthinker. So I'm trying to let go of control a little bit. Okay. Okay. Are you still writing every day? I write a lot. I think I'm trying to write something every day. Uh, my goal is, I don't, I don't know if you have to write a song every day. You can. And I think I have, I have spurts when I do something like that, but at the very least, like right now I'm working on journaling every day, at least coming up with song ideas every day, maybe a line that I like, and then doing songs often like multiple times a week, but at kind of honing in on the, all the different aspects of writing. Maybe I write a poem. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Like just, (laughs) just trying to be consistently creative. I think it's also really important to, especially right now at the end of the year, we've been, I've been grinding all year doing stuff. I think it was probably one of my lowest output years in terms of writing this past year, just because I was, um, I was doing so many video shoots and TikTok stuff and whatever that I want. And I wasn't writing as much for other artists that it definitely was one of my lower output writing years, but high output content years, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, but for the next couple of weeks, I'm really honestly, I want to try to read as much as I can try to refill the sponge. Cause that was one of the best pieces of advice that Billy Mann gave me a few years ago in what the one from the Red Bull publishing. And Uh so I've had to listen to that and it's just as important to refill the sponge as it is to, squeeze the sponge. I love that. I was actually going to ask you my last question, if you have any advice for aspiring artists. And that's a beautiful piece I of advice. I think that is, that is one. It's like know when to push and know when not to. And because there's no sense in like, there's no sense in squeezing a dry sponge. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So, but I think you have to know, like uh, there's the balance of like, I do think that writing and creativity is a muscle. And if you're too scared because you say you don't have the right equipment or you don't have the, you know, time, those are all excuses. Like you can make time and you can do it every day. And I think in the early process, that application is really important. And then you kind of figure out like no one to push, no one to replenish and staying consistent is like the key with all of that.